You're listening to the Back Home Network, presented by Homefield Apparel. And welcome, Hoosier fans, to another episode of the Doing the Work podcast. Tonight, we wrap up the Indiana Hoosiers 2021-2022 season. I am your host, Kathy Amos, and I'm here with my uh, esteemed co-host, Coach Jeff Marlowe. And we are, we'll be breaking it all down, breaking down the season for you on this edition of Doing the Work, the new show on the Back Home Network that's dedicated to covering IU women's basketball. So today we'll show, start the show with the way we do every show, and that's with our banner moment. And Jeff, for me, I'm going back to March 13th. March 13th was um, a week or so after the women made their great run in the Big Ten tournament to get to the championship game. Um, again, losing to Iowa in that game, but boy, that the Big Ten tournament run really just um, helps take them over the hump after you know a kind of a, a slower end than we would have liked to the season, and that really culminated to me on March 13th, when the all the women's teams across the country got together, including our, our Indiana Hoosiers, and they got together in that room and they watched that Selection Sunday show for the first time on Sunday, broadcast over ESPN, and they got to see their name called out as a number three seed, which meant they got to host as well for the first time. And to me, I thought there was a, a great culmination and of the the year's event, the season, it was one of the goals that the the women had put forth for themselves at the beginning of the year, and it was one that they got to see come to fruition. And it was so much fun to see them on television. It was fun to have our friends around us and see that and enjoy it, even if we were from afar and virtual. And it was just, I thought, a really fantastic moment. And to me, that was our banner moment for the year. And I loved seeing it, and I hope uh, we'll be able to to see it again one day. And as always, our banner moment is brought to you by our friends at Homefield Apparel. This is their first season as the presenting sponsor for the Back Home Network. And did you know that when you go out to the IU collection, you'll actually find an IU t-shirt commemorating the 1983 women's season when that team won the Big Ten title and made its first NCAA appearance. And if you support other college teams or have folks in your life that do, Homefield probably has something for them as well. Their product line now extends to more than 120 different schools with unique vintage logos for all of them. And no matter what you buy, you know it will be comfortable and what colors will last through many washings. Plus you're supporting an Indiana-based team um, company that came up through Kelly and what could be better than that? In addition, you can go to homefieldapparel.com today if you haven't before and use our promo code HOME, H-O-M-E, to get 15% off of your entire first order. Again, that promo code is HOME, H-O-M-E, for 15% off, and the website is homefieldapparel.com. Wear one for the team. Okay, now it's time to move the ball, find the open player, and get some opening thoughts from the rest of our team. And after his own uh, long pause from the, the podcast, we welcome back Coach Marlowe for Coach's Corner. So, Jeff, what do you what do you like to talk about from this season? Yep. You're on mute. I'd like to thank everybody for sticking. I'd like to, yeah, I'm out of practice. I want to thank everybody for sticking with us. I want to thank Sean for filling in for me as as way he did. Uh, Yeah, it was a nice little uh, trip overseas uh, to Europe for us and and such. So, um, yeah, I think uh, you brought up a really good point with your banner moment, though, Kathy. And I think that some will come back to as we go a little bit later in the show. Just how important home court is in the in in the NCAA women's tournament. the IU had a very tough game um, with Princeton. And I think a lot, you know, with outside of the fact that Grace Berger made a great play at the end, um, I think the crowd had a lot to do with that. I think the crowd helped push pull them through. But then going on the road, we saw this going to to Bridge uh, to uh, Bridgeport and having to play UConn and technically was and, and it came up it came back to bite North Carolina State a little bit in the regional championship game so the the, the goal and what you kind of get to right now with these elite programs which is what Terry Morin and this program is trying to get to is to get to that point where year after year as long as they keep the current system to you can host those first two games because it's just such a huge advantage. Yeah, absolutely. And that was in part why I thought that was such a banner moment for us as well, was it not only the, the goal of the team to make it back to the tournament, but they had loftier goals than that, which was to make it to be a top four seed. And they they exceeded that. I mean, they ended up being a top three seed. And that was that was in doubt there for a while at the end of the season, which we'll get into in more detail. So yeah. um, I, I thought that was, yeah, all around just a great banner moment. And, and, and I think, you know, 
they got a little bit of a bad break. If Paige Beckers is healthy for most of the season, if not all the season, UConn's probably not the two seed that you're having to face in the Sweet 16. You're probably going to get somebody else maybe in a different location um, because of the way it would have worked out. But just unfortunately that we talked about this the last time I, I think the last time I was on uh, when we were on AC radio uh, doing a little bit of a preview that that, that was going to be a tough regional to come out of because not only were you going to get a UConn if everything chalked out and you were going to have to go against NC State. So it was going to be, a, it, it may have been for IU the toughest regional they could yeah. have had. Yeah, and you had Notre Dame in there too. And I'm not sure how much you got to see of any recaps, Jeff, while you were gone, but Notre Dame was playing really well yeah. as, as well. And, you know, Princeton turned out to be way understated. You had Kentucky in there with ended up not having to, to face. I called that. I call if I, if people go back yeah. and watch, I said, be wary of Princeton because those Ivy league teams sure tend did. to play well. So yeah, absolutely did. So cool. All right, Jeff. Well, as we continue our breakdown of Indiana season, just a reminder, my name is Kathy Emus and my co-host is Jeff Marlowe. And we are going to highlight some meaningful moments from the season. And then we'll go inside a little bit of the numbers to highlight some of those maybe most important statistical notes from the season. And you're listening to doing the doing the work podcast. So we'll jump right into the meaningful moments and kind of like the way the women's games are broken into quarters. Um, Jeff and I are breaking the season down into quarters. So overall, the team ended up with a record of 24 and 9 and 11 and 5 in conference play. But if we go back to the beginning of the year, they opened up their non-conference before they ended up taking a trip to the Bahamas, which we'll get into, but they opened up before that trip with a 5-0 and record, and that included a win over number 13 at the time, Kentucky, 88-67 um, to um, back on November 14th. That was their third game of the season. Um, and during during that five game stretch to open up the season, they averaged 82 points per game. So they were really scoring pretty well um, and they were defending at a high level as well, including one game where they kept. Um, of course, it was an exhibition game that we're counting in here of University of Indianapolis to only 43 points. But there was another game against Norfolk Stoke, who also had only 42 points. So um, from there. Um, well, actually, maybe before we get to the Bahamas, Jeff, do you want to talk about any of um, those first uh, five games that we opened up with there in particular, besides what I've already started to? No, I mean, other than the Kentucky game, that pretty much went according to what I would say was the plan. You were expected to win those other four games. Kentucky was going to be a tough game. Mm. Um, they had talent. They had beaten us down in, in Lexington the year before. Um, so a little bit of a, a grudge match game for IU, but that was not going to be an easy game. And IU was able to pull away, I believe, in the fourth quarter of that game. That game was a relatively tight game at halftime yeah. and then pulled out a little bit in the third quarter and really put it away in the fourth quarter. Yeah, the fun memory for me with that as a personal note, um, that game was um, in November, and my husband and I were actually in Mexico for the week with a bunch of other friends, and they had a sports bar at the resort, and we went into that sports bar, and we just kept talking to one of the, the bartenders and talking to him until he found the game for us, so <laughs> we were able to sit in a sports bar down in Mexico and watch that game, so that was that was a fun memory for us, so... Um, well, after those five opening games, then we went on to the Bahamas and we went down there over Thanksgiving weekend. Um, the Bahamas tournament was it was a really interesting one. They had a lot of big games and big teams in that Bahamas tournament. And the unfortunate thing was that it was televised on something called Flow Hoops, which no one seemed to know how to get to. And it was another pay channel. And um, we weren't able to see any of those games, but they did um, play two games down there. They played first to open up on the 25th on Thanksgiving Day against Stanford, who was number five at the time. And they would lose to Stanford, but only 66 to 69. Um, just as again, to a reminder to our listeners, Stanford is a fantastic team. And in fact, they're in the final four right now. Um, and I think when I went back and I looked at a little bit of the stats from that Stanford game, a couple of things jumped out to me. One, we shot only 32% in field goal percentage compared to 44 for Stanford, and we were out-rebounded 59 to 38. Um, also, while we were in Stanford, we would um, play Miami and down there before leaving the Mahamas. We did beat Miami, but only 53 to 51. And there again, I think they had a struggle with their shooting that night. But Jeff, what sticks out to you from the Bahamas? Well, you hit the the first two, and I think those are going. Those to me are meaningful moments for the season. Um, and and you mentioned shooting overall, but if I recall, we shot poorly from beyond the arc. 
Um, and mm -hmm. that became kind of an overriding or a, an issue throughout the season that we constantly talked about once we started this show. And then the other thing that to me became the real the real stat of that that Stanford game was the rebounding. And if you watch as we go through the season, the games we're going to talk about for the most part that we lost are games where we got out rebounded badly. And that first showed up in that Stanford game down in the Bahamas. Yeah, and as Ari pointed out as well, um, that Miami, I think he's talking about the Miami team, ended up being quite a good team as well. Mm -hmm. And even though it was really close and at the time maybe thought it shouldn't have been as close as it was, it did turn out to be a quad one win. Um, so that really kind of closed out of what we're calling our first quarter of the season. We ended up there with a six and two record overall. Um, and again, those, um, I'm sorry, I forgot about the most important game probably of yep. that, which was um, <laughs> the NC State game on December 2nd. So yes, yeah, so they came back home and played NC State. And again, um, NC State at the time was number two in the country. And um, they just lost to UConn in the Elite Eight here at a very tightly contested match. In fact, I think that game went into to overtime, if I remember. Um, so Too again- old. Two overtimes. That's right. I've had so much basketball the last three weeks. They blend together. So, and, and um, from from what I've seen, it may have been the best game of the tournament so far. Yeah, it, it was. It was a. It was a really good game. So, and you know, back to your to your earlier comments about Bridgeport. You know, I wonder in that game if NC State as the number one seed, you know, maybe had better placements um, and not been playing at Bridgeport, that game probably turns out differently. And you see now um, NC State in the final four instead of UConn. But anyway, back to us. <laughs> um, we would lose that game 58 to 66. It was at home in Bloomington. Um, but this was um, also for Jeff and I, this was our premier um, uh, edition of doing the work podcast. It was the first game that we did our post game show. Um, but about the game specifically, they have a player, Diamond Johnson, um, at NC State, who at the time, I believe, if I remember Jeff, keep me honest, she was hurt, and it was just coming back off of that injury for this game. She ended up coming off the bench, but she was their leading scorer with 19, 19 points. And in fact, NC State ended up with four players in double digits. But um, yeah, what about the NC State game? That was a lot of fun to watch. Well, it was a lot of fun to watch. It was a lot of fun to get this thing going with that game. Um, the, the NC State game, I believe, was part of the ACC Big Ten Challenge yeah. matchup. And, and it was a grudge game for, for NC State. We had beaten them in the Sweet 16 last year when they were the number one seed in that region. And so, you know darn well, they've been pointing to that game for a long time. It was a game that was really nip and tuck. And again, it was one of those games where at the end, Indiana had one of those droughts where they went on about a four or five minute drought that really doomed them. And a lot of that, and then it came back to when you get down like that, or have those droughts, you need to be able to score quickly. And this team really wasn't built that way because you probably need to use the three ball to score quickly. So things that we saw later in the season, were you, you saw in the Stanford game, you saw in the NC State game, we just didn't realize that those were going to become the, the, the kind of Achilles heels, Achilles heel, excuse me, of the team as it went forward. Yeah, absolutely. And I think this game um, really highlighted um, how sometimes the team came out a little flat in that second half and that third quarter, where here we went into the halftime with a lead, uh, barely 23-21, but it leads the lead. And when we came out in both the third and fourth quarter and ended up getting outscored by six in each. And what I remember in the game, it probably widened that margin to the eight points they ended up losing by, especially at the end, because I think we were fouling NC State. Um, to, to kind of try to extend that game. So yeah, it was that was interesting. Um, and just kind of looking quickly at, at the stats there, I think they out-rebounded us. Yes, they did 43 to 35. So shooting and rebounding, which be, ended up becoming a theme for us that, that throughout the year <laughs> um, was one that, that showed up there for us. So that, now we officially finished with our first quarter. <laughs> and, you know, Kathy, I think in this part, you know, uh, I think the second quarter, this was the by far the best quarter of the season. Indiana yeah. goes 8-0 and over the next in the second quarter. And I think you just maybe jump ahead because they play ahead. They played, you know, Penn State and Ohio State at Big Ten games and won by 20 if I remember yeah. right, on the road at Ohio State. But the big game in this stretch is Maryland right after the new year. And I, yeah. I think maybe we just jump right ahead to that Maryland game. Yeah, we sure can. So yeah, so we opened up Big uh, Ten with Big Ten play here in the second quarter of the season, as um, Jeff mentioned with Penn State. I don't want to jump too fast over the Ohio State game because that was at Ohio State. 
Um, and it was against a number rank, another top 20 ranked team at the time. And um, we ended up beating them 86 to 66. And that was, I thought, a very pivotal moment for the team too, is another testing point because we had played a couple of ranked teams earlier and lost to them. And here is another chance at a ranked team on the road. And we went into Ohio State and beat them and didn't just beat them, we beat them quite handily by 20. So, um, yeah. yeah and, and because of the way the schedule worked out, they end up sharing the conference title. They end up, I believe, the number two seed in the Big Ten tournament. But as far as like wins and losses, I think they they ended up with a share of the Big Ten title. And when I saw them back in December and as badly, and again, a lot of that had to do with the schedule. And we're going to get into the schedule pretty much in the next two quarters here of the season. But, you know, at that point, it, they they did not look like they were a Big Ten title contender. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, they they did end up, um, I think, a five seed and actually played pretty well in the tournament as well. Um, and I think they surprised some people with some of, of their play there at the end. Um, so, yeah, so jumping through, we played Western Michigan, Wright State, Southern Illinois, and then we were supposed to play Rutgers. That game got postponed. Um, again, uh, we didn't play post, uh, Rutgers the previous year, so it was two seasons back to back where we didn't play Rutgers. Um, and then we got to January 2nd, and that is a game, um, as you mentioned, that was probably one of the best games that we probably have seen them play, and that was against Maryland on January 2nd at home. Um, that game went into overtime, and we would end up winning that game 76, I'm sorry, 70 to 63. Um, so what's, what part of that game kind of sticks out for you um, when we played Maryland again? It just just getting over the hump, just getting yeah. over the mental hump. We'd never beaten Maryland. Maryland had been the big bully on the block per se of the big 10 women's basketball over the last four or five years. And the year before Indiana had gone out to Maryland and gotten behind big and made a huge run to get back into the game and had a chance really at the end, maybe to pull one out in college park, but didn't. And then, so it was it, for this team to have taken that next step for them at that point to go where they wanted to go and be a serious big 10 title contender. They had to find a way to beat Maryland at home and they did it. And to me, that mental part of getting over beating Maryland the first time is going to help set up for the future and not just in 2021, 22, but in 2020 next year in 22, 23 and so on, because now it's no longer a mental block of, wow, wait, you know, can't beat them. So to me, the big thing there in that game was how well they played. They didn't play scared. I, I want to say that's a game Mackenzie Holmes played fairly well in. And so it, it also showed as Ari's kind of pointing out in the chat with the workaholics here, you now could at least make the reasonable argument that Indiana had attained equality with Maryland both on the floor and talent, but also in where the programs were in terms of national perspective. Yeah, absolutely. Um, again, back to, you know, some of those third quarters that we had, though, this was one where, again, we, we really outscored them in that second quarter to go in up at halftime. And then we came out and we're a little flat again in that third quarter. Um, luckily, we played them, you know, to tie in the fourth quarter. But boy, that overtime, they came out in their defense is what I really remember. And they held Maryland to only two points in that overtime period with us scoring nine points. And um, it was just it was just really fantastic to see. Um, and, you know, <laughs> Maryland has Angel Reese. And, you know, Angel Reese definitely got hers that game with 22 points and, and Ashley Owusu, Owusu as well with 10 and then Diamond Miller with 17. But otherwise, we kept them to 63 points. And Maryland, if I remember, um, averages well over 70 points a game. So that's, And I want to say they were averaging over 80 at that point. Yeah, I think you're right. Yeah. Um, so anything else in that Maryland game? Not in the Maryland game, but then we're going to yeah. finish out with three strong wins. Yep. But Mackenzie Holmes is going to go on the IL here, you know, not too, yep. during this part during this portion of the season as well. Exactly. So after uh, we beat Maryland in overtime at home, we followed up with wins against Wisconsin at Wisconsin um, at home against uh, Nebraska, and then a Purdue win. Um, in overtime at away. And again, as you mentioned, the, the important part in this stretch was that we would go without um, McKenzie Holmes after that Wisconsin game. She went out with a knee injury on January 5th. And that was important because from January 5th through February 17th, we were without McKenzie Holmes. So again, January 5th um, was the Wisconsin game. 
we would still win two more right after that, including Nebraska at home and Purdue overtime away was just a really gutsy win. I thought, you know, the, the crowd, the crowd in Mackey arena really showed up for that Purdue game. And, um, you know, to get it to overtime, it was just such a slog of a game. And I, I, that was, that was something to, to watch as well. Again, you know, we ended up scoring 19 points in that fourth quarter, um, to go into overtime, but then outscoring Purdue eight, eight to 13, but, um, anything besides the McKenzie Holmes injury, which I think, you know, was quite important that you want to touch on in those games. Well, we also though saw in the Purdue game and I, and I, and the Nebraska game was one where we played without, and that was kind of the game where everybody was like, wow, she's out how, what's this team going to look like? And we were able to get past Nebraska at home, being at home probably helped. Went to Purdue, Purdue, who we'd beaten several times in a row, um, Weighing it late with new coach Katie Gerald's former Purdue player, you know, wanting to try and get the you know the rivalry turned around a little bit, and a game we didn't really probably at least deserve to win for most no, of the game. We were without um, Nicole too. Yeah, and and yeah, yeah and, and um, it was a game where Allie did not play very well at all. Um, she was very, she was struggling, but at the end of the game. She I may have been the first three she hit in the whole game, the first three of the game, and she hit. There was a huge three that got us really back into a chance to get it toward overtime. And then Grace Berger made plays down the stretch. It's kind of what we came to know from Grace Berger. Kind of really showed up at the end, the end of that Purdue game. Get the ball to Grace and get and let her make plays either off the dribble and find somebody or make a shot for herself. And so, but that's what I really took out. And that was a game that to me not knowing what was going to come here in the next few days coming after the Purdue game where they would end up getting shut down because of COVID within the program. But at that point, I was like, wow, this team has a real opportunity to be a, a Big Ten title winner because right. they just showed they could go on the road without one of their best players, an all Big Ten caliber player, and win when they didn't play their best. Yeah, absolutely. And the other thing that you know I remember about that Purdue game is Alexa really stepping up for us as well. Yes. You know, at the time, you know, she wasn't really in, in there when McKinsey was playing to, to put up a ton of points. She was in there to kind of do the that glue player kind of stuff, right? It was rebounding, it was blocking out, it was good defense. But in that Purdue game, she put up 21 points for us. Um, and, you know, that would be a theme for her while McKinsey was out where she was really going on a stretch of like seven or eight games where she was up in that, you know, teens and even bordering on 20 points and in this game she almost had a double double one one rebound shy of that so i really thought this was a good i wouldn't i don't want to say a coming out party for alexa because alexa's always been a great player for us but in terms of offensive production to go with her defense and her rebounding this is where i thought she really stepped up well it was a good it was a coming out party because that game was on national tv if i recall that was a game that was on yeah. fs1 i believe and so yeah. most we knew what alexa was capable of iu fans knew what alexa was capable of but i don't think a lot of the country knew the type of player that alexa was um but as ari points out in the chat yep. grace wagner made a huge play at the end of that game as well so we don't want to leave her out of that so no. but then no. As, as, as I mentioned already, coming out of the Purdue game, feeling all that positivity, all that like, oh, yes. And then, first of all, Illinois canceled, and we thought it was mainly because of issues in their program. But come to find out, IU had COVID issues in the program, so it's going to shut down for two weeks. And it's yep. really going to wreck the schedule. Yeah, absolutely. So before we get into that, though, with that win over Purdue, um, that marked a 6-0 and opening for conference play for us, and that was the best – conference opening we've had in, in program history so yeah you you started on it so moving then into what we'll call the third quarter of our season we did um, start with the January 19th game which would have been against Michigan State postponed um, followed by Iowa and Illinois all postponed and we went then from that January 16th game against Purdue and not playing again until January 31st um, and I thought that was really to me the turning point of the season for us uh, I thought after after that, it just seemed we never quite got our groove back. Even, you know, without McKinsey, those three games, it seemed like the team was coming together and finding a way to win, especially without Nicole as well in that Purdue game. And I thought they were really on a roll. And it just really hurts because they've lost their momentum in gameplay. They've lost at least a week of practice together. And it, I thought to me that was probably the most pivotal two weeks for the team when they didn't actually play at all. Well, not only that, that was also – you could tell they hadn't practiced and it ended up forcing them to have to play a bunch of games later on in February jam packed in there as they were trying to make up some of those games. And that, that probably more than anything cost them the big 10 title. 
Yeah, absolutely. So they would come back and they would resume play. Um, they would go on the road, which again is enough. <laughs> uh, it's, it's tough enough to go on the road. It's tough to go on the road against Michigan, but it's tough especially to go on the road against Michigan, who was number seven at the time after a pretty much a two week layoff. And they did end up probably one of their not best worst performances of the year. I thought um, it ended up losing 50 to 65 again, just, it was and a hostile environment and there was just, it was just such a hell to climb. I thought for them. And it wasn't really that close. I, I don't even yeah, think it was necessarily as close as 15. I it just didn't feel that close. Um, you could tell they had not practiced. They'd lost some of their conditioning. McKenzie didn't play and Nas Hillman and the other post players for Michigan really exposed us. And not only that, I want to say, in fact, if I, I don't have the stats in front of me, Kathy, yeah, Kathy but real quick. I want to say that game was something we got out rebounded, something like 48 to 15. I mean, it was I ugly. remember it was pretty bad. So, um, yeah, we only had well, we only had 20 rebounds to their 52. That was it. Yeah. But it, yeah. it was a huge it was a wide margin, too. Yeah. Yeah, so it was just a lot of things going against us. Again, we only shot 33%, so you're shooting woes. And yeah, I mean, just from the start, you could just tell, you know, they're outscored 19 to 14 in that first quarter. Or, yeah, first quarter alone. Um, <laughs> we did outscore them in the second, 16-13, but boy, then there's that third quarter again where they outscored us 16 to 6, and it just went downhill from there. But outside of the way they lost, if you were at the beginning of the season yeah. going through the schedule going win, loss, win, loss, you would have probably chalked up a loss at Michigan to that team. Nas Hillman yeah. was the preseason, you know, one of the preseason player of the year candidates. She was an All-American. So that was going to be a tough game, even with everybody having been healthy, no COVID pause, Mac playing. But so I wasn't it wasn't necessarily the loss it was disappointing. It was just the way they lost. But again, yeah. the first game back off the COVID pause. It just is it's the way it was. But unfortunately, you had to run into a team that, you know, IU was still on top of the Big Ten at that yeah. point. And Michigan, I think, was at one loss. So they saw a chance for themselves to get right back in the race. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, to me, Jeff, that was probably the only game. And I um, I would say that they just looked a step slower than the whole team. And it just that you could definitely tell it was, it was a rusty game. So. Yeah. All right, moving on then. So after that, though, we would go on a four-game stretch where we would win four games. We would go um, win at home against Minnesota and then beat Purdue again at home, which um, I was at. So that was a lot of fun for me to see that in person. Um, we'd go over to Champaign and beat Illinois. And then um, we'd follow that up with a win against Michigan State at home. And that Michigan State game was in particular an important week, not because of just playing Michigan State and winning at home, but earlier in the week, Michigan State had beat Michigan. Mm -hmm. And um, if we remember that week, Michigan State beating Michigan actually put us in sole possession of first place. And so to maintain that sole possession, we really, it was really super important than to follow up us beating Michigan State, which we were able to do. Um, so, you know, we were in just a fantastic position on February 12th and again at the at leading the conference. Um, so that that kind of wraps up our third quarter where we would finish then that third quarter at five and three and we are now 19 and five heading into our, our final stretch. But and, any of those four games you want to talk about in particular? No, but I think in hindsight, you look at that's where maybe the, even though the schedule was getting condensed a little bit, three of those four games were at home and Illinois was toward the bottom of the big 10 on the road. Yeah. So those were, you know, even though they were playing a, you know, four game, I want to say that was like four games in eight days, four games in, in nine days, something like that in that stretch. Yeah. They, um, they, the being at home is always helpful. And then Illinois not being a very good team in the league is helpful. It's going to be the next stretch we talk about that finally where that schedule being condensed caught up to them. Yeah, absolutely. Might've covered up maybe some, some things that um, I think going into our fourth quarter of the season um, probably came, came to kind of catch up with us. So we would start this, um, this final stretch of our, our conference play here um, really with a really tough stretch down the road. We had um, the Iowa game ended up getting rescheduled um, from earlier that put us in some back-to-back -back games there. Um, we ended up still not playing records at all, but we'd end up losing four of our last five games. The one win came in that stretch against Northwestern. Um, the important thing about the Northwestern win, besides winning it, that was actually when Mackenzie Holmes came back to the team as well. So um, just running down those last five games, we lost at Nebraska. We beat Northwestern at home, lost to Iowa, both at home and there again away. And then at home, 
uh, excuse me, away at Maryland. Um, I do want to stop and point out the, the first Iowa game. Um, for those of you that may be forgotten, I'm not quite sure if you how you could forget this game, but we were down quite a bit um, in that game. And in that fourth quarter, we actually set not just a program record, but a big 10 record by scoring 49 points in that fourth quarter um, against Iowa. It would just be a little too, too little too late in that game. And we still lost by five, but boy, the points we put up 91 points for us, which was way more than we put up in any other game all season for the most part, um, at least against the quality appointment we did have, you know, against Illinois and a couple of others were in the 90s, but mostly we didn't score that much. But yeah, um, problem, problem was we couldn't figure out how to stop Iowa. Yes. You know, we gave up 95 in that game and I forget, I think I want to say 85 or 87 and 88 in the, in the the two days later in Iowa City. So for some reason, and, and Ari's pointed out here in the chat with the workaholics that Iowa, when they play defense, they are a very tough team to play, but they didn't play a lot of defense against us either. We just didn't make some shots, especially in that first game in the first half in Bloomington, but it's a tough matchup. They have an all, a, an all American guard in Caitlin Clark, um, Sinano is a very good post player and Mac wasn't even close to being healthy like she would right. be later on. But I'm even with a healthy Mac, Sinano is a, is a load to handle in the post. So it, it's just for some reason this year, Iowa was a very tough matchup. And it, and again, having to play them like that, basically right back to back, almost like an NBA schedule, didn't do us any favors. No, I think those five games we started out here, if we focus on just those five, even going back to Michigan State, you can go back to the Michigan State game on February 12th. So all six of those games were played between February 12th and February 25th. So in and, 13 days and a lot of travel in between there as well, too. So and, and that's what I wanted to bring up too, Kathy, was we talked about this on the shows during that time. And, and I talked with a little bit about with Grace a little bit on the, on the show with her. It's not so much just even the physical wearing down of playing that many games. The kids, kids and players are always going to find a way to have energy to play the game. But it's here. And I think that really showed up, especially when they went to Maryland to end the season. They just looked like a team that was mentally tired by the time they got to Maryland on that last Friday of the regular season. Yeah. And, you know, even though they ended up losing to Maryland on the road, they held their own. They only lost by three points, 64, 67. And, you know, again, Maryland's just a prolific scoring team as well, or can be. And uh, again, holding them to under 70 points was, again, just our defense. It's just sometimes our offense struggled to really get going. And we would find that we had those long stretches where we would just go too long without scoring. Um, yeah. Iowa overall is just a bad matchup for us. And, um, I just thought, to your point, though, their defense did come home to roost when they played Creighton in the, the Sweet yeah. 16. Creighton was just making any anything they wanted. So if you can have a hot shooting night against Iowa, um, that's definitely the, the night you want to do it. <laughs> um, so to finish then off the season, we um, finished that last quarter of the season, five and four, that took our regular season record to 24 and nine. Um, anything else, Jeff, um, that you want to talk about? No. So, no, so I just I, I, nothing about that stretch. I just want to say that I would think that nice the season play. was a success. We talked about this yep. with Jared on the Assembly Call podcast, previewing the tournament. I said that getting back to the Sweet 16 would be a success yep. because once you got there, then UConn, if UConn got there, which they did, that was going to be a tough matchup, even without just being UConn. That when they're healthy, UConn is very good. And I and I made the comment in the text we were watching the game the other night that when Beckers is healthy, they may be the first or second best team in the country. Yeah. And and so that was always to me. So I I want to want to say that twenty four and nine, finishing where they did in the league at eleven and five with everything they went through. The season was a success. I don't think there's anybody should be disappointed one way or there just because they didn't get back to the Elite Eight. That's that's hard. I heard this the other day, and I might have been um, – I can't remember where I was listening to. It might have been when I was catch, trying to catch up on some of the podcasts with Assembly Call guys on them. Winning's hard. I don't care who – in fact, it might have been Gino even who was talking about it. Winning's hard. You, you, know, you can't just assume you're going to get back there because you were there the year before. But getting back to the Sweet 16 validates to me the run from last year. So you've gone to the Sweet 16 two years in a row. That's how you start building. That's how you get recruits to be like, hey, I want to go there. Yeah, absolutely. Um, 
uh, they don't call it sweet 16 for nothing, right? <laughs> so yeah, back to back years. And to be to be fair too as well, um, once they expanded the, the tournament, these are the only two times we've made the sweet 16. Um, we just don't have the history as a program of getting there. So overall, yes. So we ended up um, just <laughs> 19, uh, 19 and five there. So 24 and nine overall, but um, let's see, where am I at? Here we go. Big 10 tourney. Let's talk about that. <laughs> that was fun. So we um, ended up then not getting the double buy in the Big 10 tourney. We ended up fifth overall in the conference, which meant we did have to start playing on Thursday. So we played that Thursday against Rutgers um, and ended up beating them here pretty pretty handily, if I remember, mm -hmm. um, 66 to 54. And then we played Friday over again, Maryland. Um, so now we split the regular season team games with them. We ended up beating them 62 to 51. And we just looked like at that point, I thought the team was on a mission. Um, and I really thought they looked focused. They looked like they'd had time to recover both mentally and some physically. And then the next game, on Saturday, they would play Ohio State, who was the overall number one seed, and beat them 70 to 62 to set up a matchup again against Iowa on Sunday for the championship game. Yeah. What thoughts on the tourney? Yeah. Just a nice run. And, and it, the, again, that was kind of the Indiana team that we thought we were going to see a lot of. And unfortunately, the schedule got to them. Mac being hurt got to them. But by the end of the Big Ten tournament, you can see Mac was starting to feel a little bit better. That, that was four to five days after the Maryland game before they had to play in the Big Ten tournament were huge. The other thing is Big Ten tournament being played a week early, I think, is helpful to the IU women here. I think mm -hmm. it's a detriment to the, to the men's side of it, not just IU men. I think a detriment to the whole Big Ten men's tournament, to the Big Ten men's side. But IU got to the final on Sunday, lost, which we didn't want them to lose. We wanted them to beat Iowa. But then they still had another full week plus and to get, in fact, it ended up being almost two full weeks I'm before they you. actually played. So that, that rest in between the Big Ten tournament and playing, I thought for this team especially, was huge. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, yeah, so we did go and play Iowa, who is the number two seed in the tournament. They were at that point ranked number um, 18th, 12 or 18, depending on which poll you look at in the country. And we just once again, just couldn't find a way. And this time, I thought it was more, again, we couldn't find a way to score. Um, we had some trouble against shooting. We held Iowa to 74, which if you hear 74, you're thinking, oh, that's maybe not good. But if you know Iowa and their offense, holding them to 74 points was actually quite good problem is we could only score 67 points and I thought right. just again our our scoring drops there kind of came back to haunt um in that game as well um but you know regardless just a fantastic just to be even playing on that Sunday of the Big Ten tournament was super exciting I think that was one of the most watched Big Ten women's attorney uh, games in history if I remember correctly and it was one of the most if not most and Ari can help me in the chat with my my uh, stats here, but I believe it was one of the most attended Big Ten women's game as well. Um, you know, Iowa had actually really good attendance in general for the women's game, and they definitely traveled for that over to Indianapolis. And of course, our, our fans were really fantastic and showed up. So um, that set us up again really nicely for my banner moment that I already mentioned, which was Selection Sunday, to get that number three seed. Um, so then, Jeff, we went on and we opened up our, our tournament play against Charlotte. Charlotte was a 14 seed um, coming in there, and that was a home game for us. And we ended up very much handling them from tip. It was just that was a game that was no problem for us. We won 85-51. Um, that set us up then with Princeton, who was a number 11 seed, but Princeton had just beat um, Kentucky. So um, that is, to your point, I think, where our crowd was really our sixth man, our sixth person there, sixth player, however you like to say it, and um, really pushed the team over the, the hump there. We were up 11 or 14 at one point in that game um, and really let Princeton get back into it in that third quarter and really struggled in that third quarter um, and let Princeton right back into it and ended up only winning by one. Um, really four because we let Princeton have a three-pointer there at the end as the buzzer is running down. But um, I'm not sure if you were able to go back and watch that game at all or have any thoughts on the, the Princeton game, if you you saw any stats or, or read anything about it. No, I just said, uh, again, we talked a little bit about it earlier, and I have not gone back and watched saw some of the highlights when I was in Europe, when I was able to pull up some ESPN. But it was Grace Berger making plays. I, and, mm -hmm. and I mentioned yep. earlier – um, I thought that, and I know there was a play where Allie, it may have been in the first half, but Allie got fouled uh, on a three-point attempt. Yeah. 
but they, you know, it just to me, that was a game where the crowd lifted them. If that game's at a neutral site or someplace else, um, that that may be a game that Princeton pulls out because I think they felt like they had an opportunity. Um, but I felt like the crowd was a huge difference there. And, and that's why you want to be one of those top four seeds is so you can get a home game for that first weekend. Yeah, absolutely. So then that would uh, move us on to the Sweet 16. As we mentioned, it's our second six, six, Sweet 16 in a row and our second um, in program history with Expanded. We did make the Sweet 16 before um, back in earlier history of, um, before the tournament was expanded. But so third overall, if you count that one. So um, again, just a really, I, I thought a successful season even leading up to this. And, and then we just had a, you know, we just had a tough matchup as I think everyone probably listening in, in the, in our workaholics chat here knows we were um, paired up against number two seed UConn. That game took place in Bridgeport. You could definitely tell that it was probably, you know, 90% Connecticut fans to 10% non-Connecticut fans. <laughs> um, the atmosphere was really great for Connecticut. And, you know, regardless, to be honest, um, I don't think it would have mattered a whole lot. Connecticut is a really, really talented team. You've already mentioned Paige Becker's being back for them. And I think this just might have been a little too much for us to handle anyway. Um, but we ended up losing that game 58 to 75. And again, just the girls, uh, women just never lost their, their heart and they just played it all the way to the end. So it was nice and my you know, I don't know if you got to listen to Sean and I, our show, but, you know, Allie was for us that, that player of the game and for her to recap her seven years as a collegiate player and having yeah. given so many years of those seven to Indiana, that was one of her better games, I thought, this season. So at least to see her go out on a high note, um, it was really good. And, and, and yeah, Grace did Grace things. So Well, and, and I want to say that I, what I saw before the game was that and i know part of it's coach speak but i think it was it was interesting to see the comments that gino had made prior to the game about the yeah. program about how iu was a legit contender that this was not an easy game for them that the, the i basketball iq of the kids for iu was something he really was impressed by um but unfortunately this came back to the two kind of bugaboos long scoring droughts and rebounding and and you give a team like UConn multiple opportunities, they just got so much talent, they're going to make you pay. You can get by with that and maybe squeak out a win against a lesser talented team, but you're you're talking about most of the time UConn's running out their four or five McDonald's All Americans on the floor at the same time. And it's not just Paige Becker. I know I've mentioned her, and I she's I I love watching the kid play. But as he fud the the post player, and unfortunately they lost one of their post players in the game against North Carolina State the other day. Yeah. I don't want to see anybody get injured. Um, yeah. Well, I haven't seen anything officially rules her out, but it sure looked like a, a, a severe injury, wrist injury to me. Yeah. Um, so, but anyway, I, I just think that I thought that you know that just was one of those where. Uh, the lack of ability to hit shots, especially from outside. I thought was it came back to haunt us. All those things I've, I've mentioned kind of for me that were the Achilles heel caught yeah. up to them in the UConn game too. It did. And it, and especially in that third quarter, I mean, we yes. were right in that game at halftime and that yep. opened to that third quarter. That was, that was pretty much the the beginning of the end for us. Uh, um, I can't remember. I don't have my notes anymore, but it was something like at least a nine Oh run that UConn opened up that third quarter. It, we ended up only scoring um, 13 points to their 22 in that quarter. And that was, I thought, just really what, what became too, it was, it, it was too insurmountable for us. Yeah. So oh. I, it just was, they were the better team. They had more talent and, and you just tipped your cap to them. And that's why I said earlier, it's still a successful season losing to UConn. There's no shame in losing no. to UConn at the sweet 16. No, I mean, they're, they're the UConn teams in the final four for, very specific reason, you know, and as Ari and others have said, you know, I had Paige Becker's been healthy all year, most likely UConn ends up with a, you know, a little bit, a couple fewer losses and ends up being a number one seed overall. So absolutely no shame in, in lose, losing to them. That was UConn's 28th Sweet 16 in a row, um, you know, and, and we're their, excited about two. <laughs> and they're going to their 14th Final Four Fort in a row. 
Yeah. I mean, <laughs> the, the history there, I just, you know, again, the mental aspect of trying to think about getting your head around some of those and say, well, no, that's fine. We can still beat them. And it's, it's just, it's gotta be tough to get over that. And, and they didn't shy away from it. They, you know, they hung right in there, like I said, until that third quarter. So anything else, Jeff, you want to talk about in terms of any of the games we played before we jump into the stats? No, I'm good. Okay. All right. Well, with that, it is time to go inside the numbers. So um, I'll start out with just or maybe we'll talk a little bit about team offense. So as a team, we ended up averaging um, 71 points per game. We were led by Grace, who averaged 16 points per game and uh, overall in 17 and Big Ten, um, followed by McKenzie with 15 and 14. Um, what anything do you want to continue talking about stats before I just start reading everything? Off? Well, I thought you were going to take them all. I, mean, <laughs> I, I saw myself. <laughs> you know, it's like, but I think the thing you see here, and this is a byproduct of Mac being injured, is Grace, Allie, Nikki all increased their scoring during Big Ten play compared to the not to the to the overall season. Um, slightly, if you look, Lex, yeah. uh, and I should say, and Lexa too. I left out Lex. What? Lex went from 11.8. She averaged 11.8 for the season, but she was at 14.6 during conference play. Um, and then we didn't throw it in here, but Chloe Moore McNeil, the, the, the surge that Chloe Moore McNeil made because she got more playing time and more consistent playing time because of McKenzie's injury, A, bodes well for next year, but B, I would really love to see what, and I, and I didn't do this, but I would be interested to go back as we do some previews later on, maybe with the podcast later in the summer or next fall, what she was averaging before McKenzie's injury and what she averaged after. Now, I know, I think she went scoreless in the UConn game. I'm not going to hold that against her. No. But for that stretch, starting with kind of the Purdue game up at Mackey, she really played pretty well. Now, you could just kind of see her confidence growing and growing and growing with every game. Yeah, so real quick, I just pulled up um, the stats here. Chloe averaged five points per game on the year, but in conference play, she averaged six and a half. Um, and, and again, you know, in that stretch, she had – um, her first double double. She had her first, you know, couple of games and double figures, and you could just really see her progress. So she was a lot of fun to watch. Um, from a points production, anything else you want to to talk about as a team or individuals? Well, I'll just point out a couple of things I've mentioned already, and I'll give you the stats for it. They shot as a team. We shot thirty three percent for the year from three. I mean, that's okay. But that's still, to me, the area that this team has to get better at. And when we start talking about for yeah. next year, this team has to be a better three-point shooting team. And they shot – but they shot 50% on twos. So this was a team yeah. that when they got shots inside the arc and got to the rim, they finished for the most part. The problem was the games where they didn't shoot well, the Iowa games and the UConn game, it really probably cost them because it allowed the, you know, those teams then to stretch leads out on them. So those are the only things as far as especially scoring stats. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so yeah, in continuous shooting the, I guess, you know, one thing we always um, laments on the men's side is free throw shooting. They did shoot as a team 75% from the yes. free throw line. So I'll take that any day of the week. Yeah. <laughs> Um, so real quickly, just with assists, um, we did um, have Grace as well, led the team there with 4.7 assists per game. Um, and then uh, do you want to move on to rebounding and talk a little bit about there? So I'll just, in, in general, the, the team had struggles, I think, rebounding from time to time. time. About 35 rebounds, 36 on the season compared to their opponents where they had 34. So you could see that you know, that was probably really skewed while it looks as an average about even between us and our opponents. It really wasn't because we mentioned already the Michigan game where we just got severely out rebounded, but then there were other games where we were out rebounding some of uh, those lesser opponents, but um, McKenzie, no surprise, led us in rebounding. Um, anything else you want to talk with rebounding and talk about any of the other players there? That's rebounding though was a pre-team effort. If you look, McKenzie was our biggest player. She averaged six or seven point seven rebounds on the season, but then Lex and Grace both averaged over just over six. So, and then in Big Ten play, they were all in between six point two and six point six. So it was a rebound by committee effort, and I don't have a problem with that. 
But I do think that's one area that we probably got to get a little more out of Mac next year. And I know she was injured, so that's probably skewing those numbers a little bit. But she needs to be closer probably to being a double-double type kid, you know, the 16, 17 points a game and 9, 10 rebounds a game, if not 10, 11 rebounds. That, to me, that's got to be – but we also got to help her. There, and we're going to lose Lex – and so, you know, we've got to get a little bit more help for her on the glass. And again, everybody's doing their bid. Grace, like we said, Alexa, but but we we don't have a lot of true size, at least we saw from this year's group. Now, next year, will a Wisney, will a Brown play more and get more significant minutes? That would change those stat numbers. But rebounding is an area that against certain teams, at least this year, Michigan, Stanford, UConn, to a yeah. certain degree, Iowa all contributed to the losses that we've talked about in here. Yeah, absolutely. Um, but, you know, switching from rebounding, let's switch over to defense just a little bit. So um, we talked about us averaging 71 points per game. We only allowed 61.8, so under 62 points per game. You know, and I mentioned a couple of those opponents we held in the, you know, 40s and 50s um, and even uh, low 60s for some of our even higher opponents that you would expect. And um, while... Uh, turn it over to you to talk about defense. I will look. I don't think there were hardly any teams we allowed to score over 70. So I'll I'll just look real quick to count those up while you talk about our defense, which I thought was just elite this year. Well, yeah, it was elite. As I think we talked about it as we were talking defensively, we only gave up 61.8 points per game. That's going to be, I didn't look, see where that was, but that had to be one of the three or four, if not two or three best uh numbers in the Big Ten. And that's what this team, this program that Terry Moore is building wants to pride itself on. They want to be known for their defense. And, and for the most part, mm -hmm. that played well, except for the Iowa games um, yep. and, and then also the Michigan game. I, that was the one game and, and the UConn game probably too, but the Michigan game, it, you can factor in a number of things, but that was a game where they just did not play very well and, yeah. and defensively did not look very good. Yeah, I, I could be off here, but if I vaguely remember talking about in the post game as well, our first time we gave up 70 points was in our loss to Nebraska at Nebraska, who scored 72 points. That came on February 14th. So we went from November when we opened up play until February 14th. Again, playing some really top-notch teams to um, only to there's that being the first goodness the first team that scored over 70 for us. <laughs> so, um, and then even after that, we had, of course, Iowa, who in all three of those, those wins put up over 70. Um, and then beyond that, uh, it wasn't again until UConn. So. And, and Nebraska I, wasn't always a great, sorry, Nebraska wasn't always a great matchup, Kathy, but hindsight, and uh, we probably should have mentioned when we were talking about, that was probably maybe the most disappointing loss of the season because just felt like that was a game where we'd been playing pretty well. And then we went out there and just you know, kind of, eh, it was just kind of, eh, it wasn't great. It wasn't terrible, but it was just kind of, eh. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So um, let's see any other statistics that you wanted to talk through. I think that was all I had specifically written down for right now. Those are what I had for right now. I'm sure we'll get to some off season stuff when we get yeah. later in the, the summer and talk about some individual kids. Yeah, absolutely. So, okay. Well, you are listening to the Doing the Work IU podcast show. We are, um, you can catch us um, live immediately following Indiana women's basketball games during the season. Obviously, um, we don't have any games right now. So today we are recapping the Indiana women's season. Um, you can currently find us at our website at assemblycall.com. Um, while you're there, you can also go to join.assemblycall.com and you can join our free email um, newsletter. Um, there's close to 10,000 people subscribed. So if you're not, you should go ahead and sign up for that. Um, with that newsletter, you'll get a, a recap each week on Sundays. And then after each um, men's game, they send out a post game uh, Wednesday, excuse me, newsletter as well. Um, again, my name is Kathy Amos. I'm here with Jeff Marlowe, and we are just um, just discussed Indiana's 21-22 uh, season, and um, you're listening to the Doing the Work IU postgame show. Um, just one last remember, reminder as well, if you have not purchased from Homefield Apparel, you can use our promo code HOME, H-O-M-E, to get 15% off your first order um, at homefieldapparel.com. Um, this would be normally where we'd preview any upcoming um, opponents, but we don't have any for uh, for the foreseeable future. Um, Jeff and I are talking about some content coming up.
for the rest of the off season. I don't know that we'll be here every Wednesday. We probably won't um, since this is our first year getting going. We're going to kind of shoot for every other week or so, but that will depend on content and will depend on Jeff and I and our availability <laughs> since it is just the two of us right now. Um, one of the things I think we are really going to try to do is make sure we get into the recruits coming in, as well as I know we have one transfer coming in. So we'll do some research on our new players coming in. Um, other things we've kind of talked about is maybe doing a player breakdown of the returning players once we know definitively who's coming back. Um, other things we'll probably try to do is as we get closer to the season, we'll start breaking down other teams within the Big Ten and kind of previewing that. We have some other things we're, we're batting around for content. If you have anything specific that you'd like to hear about, let us know. Um, you can find us on Twitter, um, both under our, our basically our, our Twitter handles. Um, and you can send us a, a direct message there, DM us on Twitter, uh, or if you are in the assembly call community, you can send us a private message there um, if you have any content requests and we'll do our best. <laughs> no promises because, you know, Jeff and I aren't media, so we might not have the access, but we do have a few people at our disposal that we might call on for some help, but we'll do our best. Um, Jeff, anything you want to talk about in terms of any off-season plans we have? Well, I just think that one of the things we've talked about and, and we really all want to do is try and bring in some people who have a little closer connection sometimes to the program. We've talked about Austin, the uh, the play-by-play -play guy for the radio. Uh, we've talked about maybe some of the other media individuals like Ari. Who, uh, Ari is not necessarily wanting to be on camera per se, but but others like Seth Tao and things who might be willing to come on camera and talk about the program. We do want to try and see if we can find a way to get somebody who would maybe be a recruiting analyst who could talk to us about the recruits. We, Kathy and I have also talked around maybe seeing if we can find a way to get some of our seniors on whether it's you know an Allie, a Nikki and Alexa a, even a Grace Wagner don't know that we can get all those accomplished but th those are things we're talking about obviously there's no games to talk about but we want to keep this going we hope everybody's been enjoying it. I see Jack said he's having to get, get going and stuff but um I, we've we've enjoyed bringing you the content we don't want to have a huge gap between March April and November. We want to try and keep people focused on and, and with the IUM's program. And I just think I'll take here this, Kathy, my chance to take the last call for me that yeah. I, what a great season, what a great time to be involved in this project with you. But I think this, this it, while there, there's going to be some kids leaving, there have been key contributors. I think what the program we're building with Terry Morin and having Grace Berger come back for another year and Mackenzie Holmes coming back definitely for another year um is is going to lay the foundation for this team to be very very good next year and now it's just gonna be a matter of taking the pieces uh, around grace and and mac and putting them in there to where you can you're no longer going to see an ali patberg or alexa Golbey or a nikki cardania hillary it's gonna be somebody new i would imagine chloe moore mcneil is going to be one of those but i really think you don't you shouldn't see this team take a step back to like eighth or ninth next year in the Big right. Ten. I think this is a team that should be in the top three or four of the league. I think that's going to put them in position to have another three, four, five seed. You know, five seed won't help you, but a three, four seed gets you another weekend at home in the NCAA tournament next year. Yeah, absolutely. So, um, yeah, I'll give my last call here as well um, while we'll do it. But before that, just some uh, – just one last reminder to go out to to join.assemblycall.com to, uh, to join our free newsletter. Also, if you want, you can follow along uh, during our live shows to to uh, join us in the live chat. We have some regulars in there. I'd love to see them every every time we do a show. But you can go to youtube.com slash assemblycall and find us there as well. Um, but for me, my last call is a thank you to, to Jeff in particular. Um, this was something that we just kind of out of uh, listening to Simply Called Together, got together um, in the chat mob there and started bantering around about having this. Thanks to Jared, if he's listening at all, for really helping us get started. Thanks to Ari behind the scenes. Um, um, Ari has Absolutely. mentioned he doesn't want to come on camera because he gets um, free, frozen on camera, so we don't want anyone to freeze, so that would be terrible, but he is really great about keeping Jeff up to Jeff and I up to date. He helps produce the, the podcast behind the scene and get them published. Um, a thanks, special thanks to my husband. I'm not even sure if he's even listening tonight, um, but my husband, Sean, for those of you who followed along during postseason especially, Sean is not a um, outgoing kind of person per se in terms of wanting to be on camera either, but because um, 
he, I guess, loves me more than he hates the camera. <laughs> he went on the show with me and was really a fantastic help. Um, so thanks to Sean. Um, a special thanks to my mom, because she has been one of our loyal listeners as well. Um, so she's always been very supportive of me my whole life and very helpful with this. But um, overall, I'm happy to be doing this, excited to see what kind of content and things we can come up with during the off season to kind of keep our presence out there for you. Um, it's been a fun season and I'm looking forward to doing more this season with you, Jeff, and um, whoever else we can con into going on the show with us. So. <laughs> and I think that's one of the things that we want people to understand out there in the chat that um, we don't want to just continue to be about the two of us. And as much as we enjoy doing this, we'd like to be able to bring in some other individuals as far as especially for the off season to be able to talk to them um, as well and to grow this um, Indiana women's podcast community. Um, we, we're, we're, I don't know about Kathy, but I'll say, is anybody out there that wants to yeah, have us come on and talk about the Doing the Work podcast? We'd be more than willing to go on yeah. there and talk about the show and about the 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 loyal fans that we've found that are out there for IU Women's Basketball. I also want to say, Kathy, uh, I appreciate you covering here the last couple of weeks while I've been traveling, uh, and Sean as well, but you made a great point. Our families are huge in this. I want to make sure I thank my family, my wife, especially Kim, for 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 you know being there and 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 helping me with some of the things and we do as far as behind scenes help me set up some things here in the house so so i i just think that you know it's all part of one big production the back home network um and so i'm just it's just an, a bit amazing for me an amazing adventure journey this year so i kind of stole your thunder kathy bell let you yeah. kind of finish up the last call no, that was it. I was I was pretty much done. I guess one last special thanks to to John Ringer of Riggs Design for designing the Assembly Call logo. Um, maybe we can talk to Jared and see if we can get our own doing the work logo too and see what he, he can drum up for us. But really, thank you all for listening to us. Um, we appreciate all the support we've gotten um, helping to spread the word about the podcast. Again, Jeff, as you mentioned this, we're not doing this um, to get rich. Um, <laughs> or make any money or anything okay. off of it. As far as I know, we don't get anything. Um, we're doing it strictly because of our love for uh, Indiana and Indiana women's basketball. And we just like to highlight some of the things um, that they've done this year and really support the team. So thank you all for listening. We'll be back again to talk IU hoops again soon. But until then, keep your elbow in, your eyes on the rim, and go Hoosiers. See you, everybody.